Fantastic. We are blessed at Emerge Church, you great staff. People just with a heart for God, heart for each other, heart for you. And uh, I, just, I just love seeing our staff grow and doing the things that they're doing. It's, it's just excellent. Um, now, Rachel did not forget the offering, right? She, uh, we are doing something just a little bit differently. Today, what we're doing is on every second seat, we uh, have got a little card for you. And what we're doing is we're actually changing the bank account details for the church. And so the reason is, is that we want to be able to, with our different locations, everything's been going into one, but we need to just monitor and look and just do proper good uh, governance in just knowing what's going on in each of the different locations. So we're going to have three separate bank accounts for each of the locations. So if you could help us, obviously we're not doing it. We're going to start this week. If you could start making that change for yourselves, that'd be great. We're obviously going to do that in a day, and it's not like, you know, next week, and trust me, we'll always receive your money, right? But uh, uh, we'll find a way to have it, right? So, uh, so if you could just do that, that'll be great. I think the details are there on the screen, and uh, so if you text to give, all those other things, that'll just stay the same. That will just go to just a different account. We'll do that on the back end. So if you could do that, that'll be great. Just uh, letting you know about that. That's excellent. Also, too, uh, I just uh, want us to just keep in our prayers the uh, Lumsdens and Hollands family. You know, this week on the Thursday morning, I think it was, uh, Barbara Lumsden went to be with Jesus. And uh, she's been a long-term member of our church. Alex plays the uh, bass here. We all know Alex. We know the Hollands family. They've been long-term. As long as Nina and I have been here at the church, the Hollandses have been part of our church. And uh, so it's always sad for us who are left behind when someone goes and gets promoted to heaven. But for the person who's gone, it's, it's wonderful. You know, Barbara has you know, had some physical limitations in the last few years of her life. And so for her now, she's dancing this morning. She's without pain this morning. She's in a place with no more tears this morning. It's wonderful for her, but it's sad for us who are left behind. You know, I remember having to visit someone in the hospital and I thought I knew which ward they were on because I always know better. I don't need to go to information. I just know better, right? And uh, so I went straight to that ward and the person I was looking for wasn't in that ward. But then I noticed Barbara Lumsden was one of the patients in there and I was able to go and visit her and speak with her and just encourage her. And she was always a woman who was positive. She had some horrible things that she was dealing with. It was a tough many times for her in the end part of her life, but she just kept a positive God-focused attitude, and right now she's got a Jesus-focused attitude in all that she's doing. But please pray for uh, Alex, pray for the Hollands family, and uh, we'll let you know when the memorial service is on. We're, it's still some details to be worked out, so if you keep an eye out on our Facebook page, Emerge Facebook page, then we'll let you know when the... Uh, uh, the, the memorial service is on. So let's just continue just to pray and care for those, because it's real, right? It's real for those who are very much going through it. This morning, we're going to take a moment of time, and we're actually going to focus on uh, something political. In my years being a pastor here at the church, I kind of shy away and leave those things alone. 
I just think, you know, we'll just sort them out. You can sort them out, how you vote, what you do. That's up to you. And to be honest, that's how I think uh, it should be. But right now, there's something that's going on that I feel that we do need to actually stand up for. And we as a movement, as the ACC, every church in Australia is doing this this morning. We had a guest uh, ministry scheduled this week, but I actually uh, cancelled or postponed that uh, Joel July coming till the, uh, in uh, October. But we need to focus on something, and I'm going to read it because it's probably the best way for me to explain it. I'll just get jumbled up if I try and explain it. But on the 27th of January in 2023, the Australian Law Reform Commission released its consultation paper for its inquiry into religious educational institutions and anti-discrimination laws. And so we as a movement, we made submissions to that. And so while the ALRC paper notes the importance of religious freedom and parental rights, it actually goes on to recommend severe restrictions to those rights. These proposed reforms effectively deprive faith-based schools of the right to give preference to staff who share their religious beliefs. In a similar vein, the paper also deprives faith-based schools of the ability to require staff to model their religious beliefs in the area of gender, sexuality, and relationship choices and behaviours. They went on and recommended restricting the ability for faith-based schools on behalf of parents to address student behaviour in the area of gender and sexuality, including where their behaviour would undermine the school's religious ethos. So these controversial reforms, if enacted, will severely undermine a faith-based school's ability to maintain an authentic and holistic faith environment for their students. Such measures would represent an unprecedented infringement on the rights of parents to, restore, to ensure that their children receive an education that aligns with their religious and moral beliefs and the rights protected by international law. So the reason why the schools were set up to be a Christian school so you could actually bring up your children in the way that you would like to see them developed is now being attacked and now being stopped. So many MPs are in the federal parliament are either unaware of the proposals or fail to recognise the implications of such. And so it's imperative that we act quickly and inform our local MPs on a potential threat to parental rights and religious freedom posed by these new recommendations. And there's a narrow window of time because they're about to vote on it very shortly for, for us to be able to urge our parliamentary representatives to protect the rights of faith-based schools to teach and operate in accordance with our religious ethoses. So if you think about this, and this is kind of like a, just an overview, religious beliefs we teach are taught to be lived out in everyday life. That's why we do church. We want you to live the principles of the Word of God. And there must be consistency with what is taught in a classroom and what is lived by example. A member of staff who displays inconsistency undermines the ethos and mission of the school. After all, nothing undermines the credibility of teaching more 
than a person who doesn't attempt to practice what they preach. And a student club that advocates during school hours or on a school property against the views of the religious tradition that the school is trying to bring out would similarly undermine the ethos and mission of the school. So religious belief is holy in the sense that the words and actions must be uniformly consistent and there can't be actually exceptions to this principle. So that's why it's very, very important. We're going to watch a video by Pastor uh, Mark Edwards, who has been kind of like the main voice uh, from the ACC to Parliament. And he's a man who we really need to pray for because he is going into the, the dens of fire. He is going into so much attacks and so many things and he's advocating for us and is very important. So let's have a quick look at this video. Thank you for participating in our Freedom of Religion Sunday. And can I tell you, this is a really important day. My name is Mark Edwards and I'm the Senior Pastor of City Hope Church in Ipswich, Queensland. And for the past seven years, I've been representing the National Executive of Australian Christian Churches in the area of freedom of religion. Now recently, an event has occurred which has caused us a lot of alarm in relation to freedom of religion in our nation. The Australian Law Reform Commission have produced a report that faith-based schools, that's us, Christian schools, do not have the right to employ staff who actually agree with the ethos and the values of the particular school. Now, can I tell you, that's an affront to religious freedom. In a few moments, you're going to be told how you can get involved, and I really do need you to get involved. This is the most vital time because we know that report is going to be sent to every member of parliament within the next couple of weeks. This is the time when every single one of us can't take a backward step, but needs to say, how can I help the cause of religious freedom in this nation? And if you do get involved, your children and your grandchildren will say thank you. And so will I. And so will our movement, Australian Christian Churches. Fantastic. So how can you get involved? Well, our electorate, our church is in the electorate of Dixon. Our federal member of parliament is Peter Dutton. And uh, we're going to, what, what we're doing is the ACC, every church in the ACC, over 900 churches, are going to write to their members of parliament. But what we need is I need 10 people who are willing to write a letter. So we're going to be wise about this. We're not just going to give you a letter, say, write this. We're going to help you write a letter that is going to be given the best chance to, to let it be heard. So I need 10 people who are willing to do that, who live in the electorate of Dixon, to meet me straight after the service, just here at the front of the church, and then I'll give you something that's going to help you write a letter. So could please, for the sake of our kids, for the sake of your grandchildren, for your kids, let's Get on board this. As I said, in 12 years, 13 years of being pastor here, I don't think we've ever done something political because it's not how I think. It's not how I work. I'm going to talk a little bit about that in just a moment. But when we do need to stand, we do need to stand. This is a bad rule. And it's a rule that the parties won't follow themselves. Imagine if we told the Liberal Party, you have to employ someone from the unions. 
Imagine we told the Labor Party, you have to employ someone from the, uh, uh, fr from the Liberal Party. It just wouldn't happen. Imagine you told the Broncos, you have to employ someone from the Sydney Roosters. Right? It just doesn't work in any sector of society, and it doesn't work here. Something's being imposed on us which is not right and not good and actually an indicative of where our society is right now. So if you're willing to help, if you live in the area of Dixon, right, the, 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 which is this area, I don't even know where it is. I probably should have had a map of that, right? Uh, right so uh, uh, quickly after church, not now, right? Just put that up in your phone and have a look, right? But uh, it's around here, all right? So uh, and, uh, and meet me, 10 people, and uh, we'll just help you write that letter. Also, what we're going to do is we're going to get a couple of families from people who've got kids in a Christian school, and we're just going to go and visit Peter Dutton ourselves, right? And so we're doing the same in Redcliffe. We're doing the same in Morayfield. And as I said, over 900 churches all throughout Australia because we want to stand up for this. We think it's important. So can you pray with me? Why don't, you've been sitting for a while. You will be staying. Let's pray right now. Father, we ask, oh Lord, that this would not pass. Father, we ask, oh Lord, that, that our letters, oh God, would be like those handkerchiefs that Paul would send out, oh Lord, that people would heal from, that you would move into these letters, oh God, that there would be an anointing even on an inanimate object, oh God, and that Father would bring change, oh Lord. Father, we want to see our children thrive. We want to see our children, Father, Lord, have every possibility and potential to grow into who you've called them to be. And Father, we come against this thing, oh Lord, which is coming against us, and we pray, let it come to naught, O oh Lord. And Father, let our rights, O oh God, Father, be ours. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. You can take your seats. So uh, at the end of this meeting, if you're able to do that, I uh, would really love you to do that. Fantastic. So on behalf of that, I thought I would talk to you a little bit about how do we live a Christian life in a hostile world? And so we're also doing this in Redcliffe and at Morayfield. So Pastor Joe's speaking about this at Morayfield. Pastor Enrico, or Henrico, he's not a pastor yet. Henrico is uh, speaking about this in Redcliffe. Because we, we believe it's important. See, it's all right for me. Pretty much everyone I work with is, is Christian. I'm a bit worried about Jason, but like, other than that, you know, like we're, we're, everyone I work with is, is Christian, right? I, I, I don't have to do that. I, like people are cheering me on, you know, I think if I walk into Jason's room and he's reading the Bible, I go, keep up the good work, <laughs> right? You probably don't say that to you at work, right? So, uh, so how do we live a Christian life in a hostile world? You know, as believers... To be honest, right in the last few years, we've observed a transformation of culture in media, government, education, science, entertainment, family, and sadly, even in the church. The feeling of being marginalized as a Bible-believing Christian is actually very real, and it corresponds to the reality that's happening around us because the biblical worldview is always trying to be silenced by the cultural elites who are trying to keep us safe and all these different things. Silly stuff. But that's the world that you go to work in. 
That's the world that you study in. That's the world that you have to deal with at family gatherings and, and have to cope with as you go about your daily life. Whereby not too long ago, pretty much the majority of all our beliefs were the same as everyone in society. Now those beliefs are seen as old-fashioned. They're seen as out of touch or worse still as unloving, harsh and even evil by some people in society. Some people in society right now see the church as something negative in our society, not something positive in our society. There's been a major change in the last few years. We shouldn't be shocked because we're living in the last days. And the Bible tells us that, that, that this was going to happen in the time before Christ's return. Let's have a look. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good. Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like something that's going on today? If you didn't know that that was written 2,000 years ago, could you thought that could have been written this week? Because that's how things are. Jesus said that we're going to be hated. He said if they hated the prophets, if they hate me, then they're going to hate you as well. Persecution for the gospel's sake is nothing new. We've seen it again and again and again. We see it very soon after Jesus ascends into heaven when we see Peter stone, not sorry, Peter, Stephen stoned to death. And soon, long after that, and for the first few hundred years of Christianity, Christians were martyred again and again and again, you know, we even use it as a saying when someone faces insurmountable odds. It's like the Christians going before the lions. It become a saying that so how people were being martyred back then. In the last 100 years, in the world today, 45 million Christians have been martyred. In the last 100 years, 45 million Christians have been martyred mostly by communist regimes who sought to get rid of all religion. You know, I recently listened to a podcast. I love listening to history podcasts. And I listened to this podcast about the Bolshevik Revolution and what happened after that. It is some of the most brutal, hard-to-hear things that you will ever hear what happened to the church back then. So bad I'm not even going to try and say some of the things that happened to Bible and, and believing Christians back then. It was terrible. Today it is said, just even right now around the world, 100,000 Christians are murdered every year in our world today. Who's encouraged about coming to church this morning? You're glad you came. Everyone feeling like, Yes! Well, I encourage you, 
It's still better being Christian in Australia than many other places around the world. It's still better being a Christian here. Yes, it's getting harder. And to be honest, I think it's going to get harder even still. But I don't believe it's going to affect the church. I believe it's going to help us fill the church because people are going to have to make a choice. To be honest, it's easy to be lukewarm right now. You you might not like some things, but it hasn't personally affected you so much right now. We've seen a little bit of it in the last few years. But as it goes on more and more and more, we're going to have to make a choice. And I believe a lot of people are going to choose God. A lot of people are going to come to God. Church may look different. You may have to do things different. But you have a look around the world. Wherever there's been persecution, there's also been great salvation. You know, you think of China, which has tried to put out the church. Some of the more, so many people, Chinese are Christians today because the gospel will always get out. The gospel is power. People are going to choose Jesus. So how do we as Christians live in an ever- increasing hostile society. Do we stand up and march in the streets? Or do we, oh, there you go, there we are. Or do we sit back and let ourselves be steamrolled? I'd say I'm not sure either is the right answer. I think we take the actions that we can, like we're going to make a stand against this religious freedom recommendations that have been put towards. We're going to make a stand and we're going to take the opportunity that's before us. I don't think there's anything wrong if you, you know, to go into this and, and, and just go, I don't want to use the word protest because I don't think it's, but just stand up for, for the rights of the baby in the womb. I don't think we have, that there's anything wrong with that. I think we need to be doing those type of things. But should we be in the street calling for the overthrow of the government? I, I don't know. To be honest, I don't think we're actually going to see things change through political means. Now, I'm not saying don't get involved in politics because we actually need Christians in politics. One voice on the inside is worth 10,000 voices on the outside. You know, there's a lady in our own church who started the Australian Medical Professionals. And she's speaking truth to power in regard to the massive overreach that we've experienced in the last few years. I love that. I promote that. I think that's fantastic. You know, we, we, she's bringing someone, uh, a doctor from the uh, UK, who's going to be speaking and just looking at some of these things. I, I think it's fantastic. But politics is not the answer to our nation. We had a true Pentecostal, real Christian prime minister, but we couldn't get this religious discrimination act through. And the reason is because he was a true, real Christian and they completely marginalized this bill by saying it's his will, it's what he wants to do. And so they took away all the arguments against it because they just made it, this is what Scott Morrison wants to do. And that's why it didn't pass. If we hadn't had a Christian prime minister, they couldn't blame for that. It may have, not, it, it may have passed, but because of that. So it didn't help us. It didn't help us. Without that narrative of him being the prime minister doing what he wants, forcing his Christian beliefs upon us, 
Without that narrative, maybe it would have got through. So this morning, I want to help you live life in a hostile environment. And my answer is this. You can control what you have control over. People deal with you, and you control the you that they deal with. I can't control what the world does. I can't control what other Christians do. You know, the media are so hawkish right now. The other day I saw a headline. Look at the mansions of the Hillsong pastors. They've got walk-in wardrobes. (laughs) That was it. That was like the clickbait. They got walk-in wardrobes. Oh, sorry, I've got one too. All right, like, sorry, I'm a terrible person. We can't control the media. Or what some foolish Christian represents and tells the world what Christianity is. Think about those terrible signs that are held up by so-called Christians at some rallies. Have a look at some of this, put it up on the screen. Matt is in hell. God hates fags. Your rabbi, I won't even say that. Right? That's not helping anyone. Take it down. It's not, it's not wonderful. See, those things, they aren't helping anyone. They're not helping you in your workplace. They're not helping you as you deal with your family. And they certainly don't represent how Jesus thinks. And this is one of the reasons why the world is increasingly antagonistic because they feel like we don't care. They feel like we just judge them and we hate them. We show the very opposite of the love of God by doing some of those things. Unfortunately, I can't control that. Someone is still going to do that no matter how much I preach against those things. I can't control that the next headline is going to be some fallen pastor who we all kind of lauded and now has done some stupid things and has now made us look foolish. I can't control that. And I can't control what the world does. I can't control what other Christians do. But I can control what I do. And I can control how I represent Christ. How you act before the unbelievers is something that you can control. Paul talks to Timothy or to Titus. And he exhorts him. Well, how to be with unbelievers. Let's have a look at this. Let's look at what the Bible says. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Yeah, I want to say that this message is it's like a, it's like a, a, a series that happened accidentally. I preached a kind of message a little bit along these lines last Sunday morning. That Nina preached a great message on how we're called to love God and love people last Sunday night. Then I've got this message now. And then tonight Nina's preaching again on uh, the Corinthians chapter of 13 about love. God is saying something to us as a church. This isn't something we sat down and tried to organize. This is just something that happened. I believe that God is speaking to us. So it goes on, to speak evil of no one. How you speak about your boss matters. How you speak about... Your neighbor matters. How you speak about someone matters. To avoid quarreling. Oh, these days, that's smart. Oh, they ain't going to quarrel about anything going on. 
to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's how it tells us to act. That's how it tells us to be. You have control over that. And why? It shows us. For we ourselves were once foolish. Yes, they're foolish. We were once ourselves disobedient. Yes, we were disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and pleasures. Think about that. Just if you understood that, they are slaves to those passions and pleasures. They are slaves to that. They've got no control until they know the freedom of Jesus, until they know the freedom, life-giving power of the gospel. They are slaves to how they act. It's Jesus that sets us free. It's Jesus that sets us free. Passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Does that describe some of your workplaces, some of your school places? That's what's going on. We have to live with unbelievers in this world with the same grace and the same mercy that God has shown us. That's what God does with us every day. We're not living right every day. I may not be doing some of those big things, but I'm doing some other stuff. You understand, right? There's still things that i got to deal with, so I can't judge them because there's three fingers pointing back at me. goes on in verse 9. Avoid. Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, Quarrels about the law. For what? For they are unprofitable and worthless. Doesn't help you. If you're going around telling telling everyone how right you are and how wrong they are, it's unprofitable and it's worthless. In Titus 2, Paul speaks about how young men should behave. And I believe it's great advice as to how we should behave, especially with unbelievers. Titus 2 verse 6. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Just to be sober would be good too. In all things, showing yourselves to be a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility. Sound speech that cannot be condemned. That one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. As believers in a hostile world, we need to live in such a way that one who is an opponent has nothing negative or evil to say about you because it's not there. So essentially, the only thing that's wrong is the fact that you believe the gospel. The Bible says that gospel will be an offense. But let that be the only offensive thing. Not your behavior, not your judging, not your words, not how you act because you have control over that. And then let your behavior show them the light of the gospel. With all the trash out there right now, we are the only ones who by our lives being a living witness of God can make a difference. You being a living witness of the gospel at work in your life is the only thing that's going to change. Because out there, there's just rubbish. 
They may see all sorts of stuff out there in the media, in their world. But when they look at you, when they see your life, when they see you being a living witness and they see your compassion, your kindness, your humility, your gentleness, your patience, all of a sudden they go, I want some of that. I want some of that. And so even though they may want to criticize you, you shut their mouths by the way that you act. What do people see when they see you? Challenging question. What do your neighbors think about you? Do you even know your neighbors? Another challenging question. I hope so. God may look at the heart. But people look at the outside. So what are they seeing when they see you? Before God, you're right. God looks at your heart. He knows you're wanting to do right. See, we always judge others by what they wear. The outside matters. You know, the, the first time Nina and I, we went as a family, we went to Kuala Lumpur. And we stayed at these quite a, a well-off couple. We stayed at their house. It was a big mansion. And these, this, these couple had maids. And the maid answered the door. And she'd just come back from Indonesia. And she had the F word massively on her T-shirt. Right? Now, she didn't have a clue what it was. It'd be like me having some Chinese writing and it had something offensive. She didn't know what was being said. But like we did. Right? <laughs> I went, Whoa! Right, we all, and the kids were, right? She didn't know what it meant, but it immediately told me something about her. I knew that she didn't know what it meant. You understand? We judge others by what they're wearing. I want to show you a picture of me at home. Gee, I'm a good-looking fella. Don't, so ladies, don't be stumbled. All right. Um, <laughs> Uh, so there's nothing wrong with that, me wearing that at home. No one cares. Now, if you came to visit me at home and I, I was wearing that, you might have a, a, a bit of judgment around my shoes and socks. But uh, other than that, you know, it's perfectly fine. But if this morning I was preaching, wearing that, you go, I'm glad I didn't bring a friend. <laughs> Imagine... And it's good to have Mrs. Bradford sitting on the front row here. But imagine when I did Jacinta's wedding, I just wore that. Right? That would be an act of disrespect. It would be like saying, I don't care. What I want is more than what you want. What I want to do is more important than what you want to do. It would be completely disrespectful. And if I wore that to an important job interview... Right? Imagine I turn up at the board of the church, they're asking, we want new pastors, and Nina and I come, and I'm wearing that. You'd have a different pastor today. <laughs> it would bring damage to myself. See, what we wear is really important. How you dress does matter. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but I found this picture while I was looking for that one. This is our old uh, associate pastor. Who remembers Pastor Jonathan? He's preaching like that. Maybe that's the reason he's no longer the... Uh... No, nah, that's not true. 
Pastor Jonathan, we love you. <laughs> See, what you wear is actually vitally important to the image that you need to present. God doesn't care about your clothing. God looks at the heart of the man. He looks at the inside of a man, not the outside. But men and people look at the outside. So the Word of God tells us how we should get dressed. It tells us what we should wear. It tells us what our clothes should be. And if we dress like this, we will be living witnesses in a hostile world. When you deal with unbelievers, this is the dress that you need to have. This is what you need to be wearing. And I, I promise you, if you wear these clothes, we will make, you will make a difference in the world that you are because you will show a right perspective of God. Okay, Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, we are chosen. Remember that at the start of the year, we used that scripture from John 15. I did not choose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. We are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourselves, dress yourselves with what? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. God wants us to dress appropriately. This is the impression, the image that we need to present to the world. The Scripture tells us to close ourselves, to put on, to dress right. And God wants us to present this image. So what are the clothes? Let's have a look. Compassion. Compassion. I think if we really want to know what gets up the world's goat, it's like the signs that I showed you before. It's just a lack of compassion. The lack of ability to walk a moment in the shoes of someone who's not living the life like you do. To make assumptions about them as to why they did something or why they are the way they are. To give no grace, to judge from the outside. Jesus was criticised because he was with sinners. I mean, if you're going to criticise me, let that be your criticism. What a great thing that would be. They felt from Jesus, compassion, not judgment. Why did they want to be with him? Jesus never entered into their behavior, but he was always welcome in their homes. His compassion and lack of judgment had him sit with a woman who'd been married five times to allow a known prostitute to wipe his feet with her, with his, with her hair. He dined with a tax collector. As Nina brought out so well last week on Sunday night, he actually washed the feet of Judas as well as the other 11 apostles when he knew what was going on. He would go and touch lepers. The hero of one of his main stories was a Samaritan, someone that the Jews supposed to have nothing to do with. If you think about it, all the issues that we face now were there in Jesus' time. The LGBTIQ, abortion, sexual perversion, other faith, bad governance. They were all there to the same extent as what we see now. And Jesus didn't go about calling it out. He just lived and spoke and exampled the kingdom of God. Jesus was never known for what he was against, but with what he was for, and we need to live the same way. You know, Jesus hears about his cousin being killed. He wants to go away 
He wants to kind of like leave that circumstance and situation and just spend some alone time. I think we would all understand that when you just lost your cousin, right? Someone he'd grown up with. But then it says he sees the multitudes and was filled with compassion and went and spent the next day just healing the sick. Jesus wore compassion all the time. Number two is kindness. I love this. Proverbs 19 verse 22 Kindness makes a person attractive. I want us to be the most attractive church in Brisbane. Let us be kind. Kindness in a world with people demanding their rights. You know that today in our children's church, being kind is the message of the day. Rachel came in wearing a T-shirt with be kind. And I go, that's what I'm speaking about today. And she goes, that's what our message is today. Aren't you glad that our kids' church are wearing, not that Rachel, another Rachel, all right? So Chase going, where did you wear that shirt? <laughs> another Rachel. It's an underrated and attractive quality kindness. There's a lot of unkindness around, whether it be in the road, whether it be at a supermarket. The sense of being kind to someone is actually lacking. When Nina and I recently spent some days in London, being such a, a massive city, that was what we saw, this lack of kindness and care for people just around. There was just this, it was horrible. It was just something not nice. You know, when I used to get a telemarketer call, I said, how'd you get this number? And I get all mad with them. Right? And then someone pointed out to me, because I did it when they were in the car with me once, and, uh, they, 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 and, and, and they pointed out, well, that, that's not being kind. That person is just doing their job. And so now I'm kind to them. You know, Pastor Fred, he, he listens to them all, and then he says, can I pray for you at the end? Oh, he's taking it to the next levels. That's attractive. You know, kindness is just going out of your way a bit so that someone else's day is better. It's not that hard. God's kind. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for kindness is the word chaked. And it's used 249 times. It's not something God's hinting at. It's not just a middle suggestion. Being kind is a character of God and it's how we need to be. We see the kindness of God in the story of Rahab the prostitute with Boaz and Ruth, with David and Mephibosheth, with the king and Esther. The kindness of God is all true. See, in all four stories, we see someone stepping out of their comfort zone for someone else. Someone that they were higher than. Someone that they could have looked down their nose upon. Someone they could have forgotten or overlooked or just taken for granted. That's exactly what God did. Showed kindness to us when he sent Jesus Christ. So do you step out of your comfortable place to do something kind. Kindness is shown through action, not intention. Humility. We all hate arrogance. To be honest, it's literally one of the most unattractive characteristics a person can have. No one wants to hang around someone who's arrogant. It just doesn't, it's not nice. No one wants to be like the arrogant. If you meet someone who's really arrogant, you go, wow, I really want to be like that person. She's really, he's really, no, we don't. We go, no, I don't want that. Arrogance is off-putting. It's unattractive. 
Arrogant is when you think you're better than someone else. And some of those signs, that's what it's saying. You think you're smarter. You think you're more deserved. You think you're more favoured. You judge others by your success or what you say success is. But what does Paul say to the Corinthians? Hmm, for what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? Great communion today, Rachel was talking about. You know, God loved us before we ever did anything, right? Like whether we did good or bad, He loved us. It doesn't change it. And if everything you have is from God, why do you boast as if it's a gift? Your personality, the likes, biases, the different things of your psychological nature, much of it is a gift from God because He has you going into some particular place. You're only good because of God. You're only good because of God. You're only something by His grace. To whom much is given, much is expected. To whom little is given, little is expected. If I come from a privileged background in many ways, just for the fact that I had a parents who loved each other and parents who loved me and were able to actually look after me. Because of that, I already have an advantage in life. There are many people who haven't had that. There are many people brought up in such, such poverty, such lack just basic ways of, of how to treat someone. We're constantly, unfortunately, having to take people out of the care of their parents, put them somewhere else because their parents aren't looking after them. How do I judge someone who comes from that background? How do I judge someone? I had a father who, when I had a migraine, would say, I would like to take that migraine off you so that you would be free of it. That's the family I come from. Yeah, there's people in our society, they don't even care. So we judge this, we judge that. But really, maybe where do they come from? Be humble. Don't one-up everyone's story or belittle their achievements. Find positive things to say. Check your insecurities when someone else gets something good. Don't just walk around half-dressed. Right? You may have kindness, you may have humility, you may have those things, but there's other things you have to dress with as well. Gentleness, one of these is the one I hate the most. I struggle with the most. I'm a reactor. We talked about this last week. Consistently, I've allowed my emotion to rule me and then had an outburst. I'm a lot better than what I was, but if you see me miss a two-foot part of golf, maybe you'll realize that some of it's still there. Gentleness is not probably one way that people would describe me. We talked about anger, as I said last week. But controlling your emotions, controlling your anger, will certainly be a great way to present a Christ-likeness to those people that you interact with. But that's not just with unbelievers, that's for everyone. It's how I need to be with my staff, with the board, the leaders of the church, with the people of our church. Because if I get angry and allow my emotions and have a lack of gentleness, I actually tear down what we're trying to build. 
You understand? And, and those things, you, you do so well, but you allow those emotions and that lack of gentleness to come in and you tear down what you're trying to, to build with people. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Let's be gentle in our dealing with people. Patience. Lord, give me patience right now. Don't ask for patience. The Bible says you get patience through tribulation. So uh, you just it's not a smart prayer. Right? In terms of my message this morning, I'd like to talk about it is how patient are we with people? Do we demand change? Do we demand perfection? Do we demand right attitudes, right behaviors, right responses? Do we demand forgiveness and a whole lot of other things right now? Or are we going to allow people to change at their own pace and continue loving them and helping them even when they're not changing? Every parent of a teenager knows exactly what I'm talking about here. Right? We've got to love them as they're changing and not changing. We'd like them to be. Are you willing to be patient with people? Jesus was very patient with me when I became a Christian. Every three months, I'd want to do things to God, but every three months, I'd just get raging drunk. I'd get stoned. I'd do some very other non-Christian things. For years after giving my life to Christ, I, I could not give up smoking but God patiently led me through. See, when you're patient like this, your long-term love, commitment, and consistency with people like family, work colleagues, and neighbours pays off. When what they are trusting in inevitably fails, when they go through a trial of life, when the storms of life come and they see that they're knocked about, but you went through some storms, but because your house was built on a rock, because your house was built on the foundation of Jesus and you're still standing, they go, I need some of that. I want some of that. They'll come to you. And that's what happened. We see Jesus again and again. They came to him. They came to him. There's a reason God put patient last is because we must continue to put these clothes on. Every day we need to put on kindness, humility, compassion. We need to put on gentleness and patience every single day. That's the face. That's what we've got to present to the world. But God also tells us what not to wear. And you may have seen that my fashion choices haven't been as great as they once were because Rachel was the fashionista in our house. And sometimes I'd go out and she'd go, uh-uh, <laughs> if you want me to be with you, you better change because I'm not standing next to you if you're looking like that. There's some things God says to you and you go, uh-uh, nope, that's not it. That's not, the only time I get to wear the clothes I want to wear is at golf. Ha <laughs> ha, got him. I did, I got him. <laughs> That was quite skillful. <laughs> the only place I can wear whatever I like at golf, because it's like golf. It's the ugliest thing you can wear, the better you look. It's awesome. <laughs> but Colossians tells us also what not to wear. It's told us what to wear. Now it tells us what not to wear. Colossians 3 verse 8. 
But now you yourselves are to put off, take off all these. Don't wear anger. Don't wear wrath. Don't wear malice. Don't wear blasphemy. Don't wear filthy language. Don't wear that. I'm about to tell you a story, but I just realized I can't. (laughs) Self-control came upon me right there. Also, remember this. When you're with unbelievers, it's literally pointless to tell them about what the Bible says, right? other than the gospel, but to judge their actions by the Bible because they place no authority in it. If someone came to me and said, because of the Quran, you've got to grow a beard, right? I'd shave my beard off. Do you understand? Like I place no authority in it. It doesn't give any authority to me. So if I tell someone, you got to live like this because of what the Bible says, it doesn't mean anything to them. They place no authority into it. But if I talk about the gospel, if I talk about the good news, if I talk about what Jesus has done for us, yes. But when I try to judge their behavior, who am I? Like Paul said like this, if I'm going to judge all the immoral and sinful and sexual things that are going on in the world, I've got to get out of the world. The world sin because they're sinners. Right? Make your peace with that. That's what happens. They don't listen to that. Have some compassion. You know, I, I was very judgmental one day and until one day someone said to me, imagine you now had to change your sexual desire to the other gender. It's like, that ain't happening. Understand? Yet there's some people have that desire. And so we have to be compassionate, right? It's, it's a real deal for them. We can sit it's wrong. We can bang, go on. But for them, it's real. We've got to be understanding of those things. Kindness. The good Samaritan was commended because he showed kindness to someone who is not at all like him. Remember Jesus when he comes off the Sermon on the Mount, right? He was confronted first by a leper, someone that he doesn't want to touch, but we had to touch her anyway. And then someone by, by then by a Roman centurion, someone that he wouldn't want anything to do with. Because they were the ruling, and yet that's who he was. So we have our sermon in church, but when we go out there, we have to do and touch and be with the lepers and with the Roman centurions of this world. Humility, let's be humble and not arrogant in our dealings with people that we may not naturally want to be with. Yes, they got their sin issues, and theirs may be more apparent, but we as Christians all have sin issues, and that's why we all need Jesus. And gentleness. You know, be, be gentle. There's a, there's a way of explaining why God calls something sin. When God calls something sin, as you've heard me say many times, it's not because he's a third world dictator who just wakes up and says, that's wrong, that's right, and all these different things. God knows everything. God knows every fact. He knows everything. And he says, that doesn't work. So my example, which I've showed you before, is this, right? This glass on the edge of the table, I could sit there and make a rule that it's not wise to put glass on the edge of a table, right? And all of you are real nervous right now, right? Because it isn't, right? So it doesn't work. So I can sit there, but look, you can. 
We can, but we know it's just one, I won't do it, but we're just one knock, one thing away. And that's why God says, don't live like this. It's not because he wants to get them, it's because he's kind to them. When God calls something sin, it's because he was kind, not because he was horrible. So you may need to look at some apologetics so you can have a way of talking to someone about the hot topics. And that you are forearmed to be able to speak in a kind way. You know, be, be gentle. Be really careful about what you write on social media. Some of the things I read on social media are so mean, so unloving, so unchristlike. Think before you write and think before you post something. Patience, let's give people time. Don't give up to some, on someone just because of their reaction to you. As the Bible says, don't grow, don't grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a harvest. As you continue doing good in your workplace, in your family, in your school or university, in the society that you do, you continue doing good. Eventually it, it pays off. So the Bible says God's not mocked. See, if you continually do good and bad happens, that actually mocks God. That actually says God's not kind of looking after you. But as you continually sow good seed, good seed, good seed, eventually you reap a harvest. I want the band to come. You know, God deals with individuals, not groups. No group is going to stand before God. We're going to stand before God as individuals. And so that's why our dealings with individuals matters so much. It's not, it's what we do, not what we say, that actually gives power to what we say. You know, during COVID, Planet Shakers Church in Melbourne wasn't put under the complete scrutiny that many other churches were in Victoria, even though it was one of the largest and even though it was a large Pentecostal church. The reason is, is that they are the largest providers of meals to the needy in Melbourne. What they do is louder than what they say. The Salvation Army of all the different denominations, isn't pilloried in the media like every other faith-based organisation because what they do is louder than what they say. Our local schools in the area around where we have locations, they allow us into their schools, they allow Merge Church and our youth group into their schools because what our youth group does is louder than what they say. The Department of Childhood Services and some local women's shelters welcome us into their organisation because what we do for them is louder than what we say. Nursing homes all over the north of Brisbane allow us to visit up to 80 people every week in their homes because what we do is louder than what we say. Youth Space Redcliffe is happy to partner with us and the youth there at Redcliffe because what we do is louder than what we say. Homeless people in Morayfield 
are coming to Christ and getting off the streets because what we do is louder than what we say. The governor of Sisyphon in Cambodia allows us to put on Christian concerts, gives us, and this is a communist country, gives us access to schools, university, and drug rehabs because what we do is louder than what we say. If you want to hear me this morning, that's how we live in the hostile world. Let what we do, let who we are be louder than what we say. Let it not be about just words and intention. Let it be about action. And as we do, one by one, people will start to come. So I want to say to you today, what are you wearing? What do you need to take off? What do you need to put on? I'm going to pray. Maybe you could stand. Actually, stay seated. Father, I pray for everyone who does live in a hostile world. Father, maybe their parents, maybe their spouse, maybe their workmates, maybe their friends, all sorts of things going on. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Father, let us wear compassion. Let us wear kindness. Let us wear humility. Let us wear gentleness. Let us wear patience. Father, let us present, Father, an image of the risen Christ in a sense to people, oh God. Let us be a living witness of Jesus. Let us clothe ourselves correctly and appropriately, oh God. Father, I pray for those who are in tough places at work. I pray for workplaces right now. Let the light of Christ make a way. Let the light of Christ make a way. Father, those things that we need to do, let us do them. Those things we need to stop doing, let's stop doing them on God. And Father, Lord, let us be living witnesses of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to say to you, we are given the Holy Spirit. So when you go to work, when you walk in, do you actually ask the Holy Spirit to go with you? When you're at school and you're about to go into school, do you actually ask the Holy Spirit to be with you? Don't go in alone. If you have the Holy Spirit, He'll nudge you when something starts to happen inside you, maybe emotion. He'll speak to you about what you can do and how you could show kindness. He will be with you. He will give power to the words that you speak. He was given to us so that we could be witnesses. And many of us go into our circumstances alone. I can do this by myself. But you don't need to. You have the Holy Spirit who can be with you. I've gone way over time today, but I just felt it was important to speak about this. You know, tonight, maybe you don't normally come to church on a night time, but come tonight. Nina's got a great message around the love of God. I believe this has been a series, something we spoke last week about overlooking. Nina, last week about loving God and loving people this morning, about how to be loving people in a hostile world. And tonight, we're just going to look at the Word of God and what it says about love and how it means 
and how God's love is towards us. It's just a, a great time. It's a great time within our church, and I believe because God's setting us up. God's going to set us up to start doing things. Allow what we do as a church be louder than what we say as a church. Because as the world gets worse, more people are going to be hopeless. More people are going to be going, what is going on? And they're going to find their answer in Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to...